Good morning. Hey, you know what I was thinking about this morning is we will be known at the end of our life by how we communicate, what we communicate, who we are and what we are. That's who we are. I mean, if you've ever been at a life celebration of someone who's passed away, they're either got large crowds or they got small crowds. The smaller crowds probably communicated crappy. You can say that in church. I've been told that's okay. Thank you. And the ones that had large crowds, they had a level of communication of, uh, of their life. And before we get started today, I want to do a little bit of a plug. Tonight at 6 p.m., we're doing this thing called The Vow. We've got a lot of response. Anybody know what COVID is? Okay, good. So COVID has put a lot of stress on the marriage. And we are going to go through three weeks of trying to get us and people that are going to get married, people that are married, we're going to try and get the marriage stabilized going into the holidays. Because I don't know if you got that crazy aunt or uncle or mom or whoever come into the holidays. They usually stress you out and we're trying to get the marriage corrected. It's only three weeks. You don't have to come to all of them. But we're going to talk about communication because marriage and communication is critical. And in John, in the Gospel of John, John writes this. He says, and we we've talked about this several weeks now you will be known by your love if your love and your love offering to the world is a communication that's a blessing and it's the power of God going into the world then you are going to receive back that same type of love in some way or some shape maybe not from that person but through the way that God works but here's what happens and this is just a little bit of a teaser for what we're going to talk about at the, the vow tonight. In the garden, you guys remember the garden where Adam and Eve are, are naked and are one with God? There's this relationship with God that's amazing. And in the garden, communication is broken because the woman is deceived and she decides to eat from the fruit because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, it says, Surely you won't die, the serpent says. Surely you won't die by taking this fruit. And he was right in one sense. She wasn't going to die physically. She was going to die spiritually. And spiritually means you're going to be disconnected from God. So very early in the garden, she says, surely you won't die. And so I don't know if you're married. When your wife says, eat the fruit, guys, what do you do? You don't even put up. He just grabs the fruit and go, I'm not even going to argue with you. I'm just going to eat the fruit because we know who she is and what she is. And if I'm going to lay next to her tonight, I'm just going to eat the fruit. The women are laughing because they know it's true. The guys are like, yeah, we're not even going to say anything. So in that moment where the woman was deceived, she doesn't get punished. The guy gets punished because she's deceived by the devil or deceived by the enemy, but he's deceived by a woman. He just goes along and doesn't, doesn't do that. So in all of this, and I'm just going to wrap it up here and kind of move on to the sermon. In all of this, the, the, the ground is cursed, the world is cursed, so, so the ground is cursed and the serpent is cursed, but then man and woman have two, comp, uh, two um, consequences because of their sin. The women, and this is what we're going to read tonight, and if you, if you don't go and if you're not, you're not married and you don't want to go, we'll put it up on YouTube, on our YouTube page later, but women, it says that your desire, if you're in the consequence of sin, is to control your husband, and men... Your desire, if you're into their sin nature, is to complain. And when you're not complaining, and when you're not controlling, you're living for God. But when you are complaining, and you are controlling, you're living in the sin nature. So that's what we're going to talk about at the beginning of the vow. But we are going to be known by our communication, by our love. We need to offer this world something different. 
And I used to offer the world something that was about me. And today I try and give it away because it says disciples of Jesus are to be known by how they love people, even when they're unlovable. And trust me, some of you are hard to love. Just look around. You're hard to love. And I'm not saying that from me, just in general. Your spouse would say the same. Your kids would say the same. We're just hard to love because we are selfish people because of our sin nature. But when we communicate God's love, it changes people's hearts, changes people's lives because you love them even when they're unlovable. So we're grateful that you're here today. We are trying to talk about real faith and real relationships. And what that means is when I'm in a loving relationship with God, that calls that's called a vertical relationship. When I'm in a vertical relationship with God, that becomes real. And then what happens is God puts real relationships around me. So the horizontal uh, is, 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 is human and the vertical is God. And when I'm in real faith, my real relationships. God brings real people into my life to help me and, and grow in, in our lives. And that's what we're trying to do. And we did that yesterday, a bunch of women. Anybody go to the women's thing yesterday? Real excited. Good job, girls. So today we're going to receive a message from the, the first John. It's at the end of the Bible. John wrote the gospel of John, first, second, and third John and Revelation. And now he's going to communicate to us in John, first John chapter four. Some of the great verses in the Bible are on there. Last week we read one and this week there's one that's really powerful and you're going to see this communication. So we're going to just open up. It's at the very end of the Bible. If not, it'll be on the screen. You don't need your Bible, but you should have your Bible. If you're a Christian and you call yourself a, a follower of Jesus, that's what Christians mean. You should have your Bible and you should use it. If you use your phone, I use my phone sometimes. It's okay as well. But here's what it says. First John chapter four, verse seven. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it. And, 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 and I love this verse. It says, dear friends, that's me and you, all of us that follow. It says, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But anyone who does not love does not know God for, everybody say it, God is love. The world is saying something different today, but that doesn't mean it's true. It's just trying to, 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 to kind of change or hijack the word love. And love in the Bible is different than what we have love in this world. The, the words are crazy. So here's what I want you to do. If you're new, if, if you, you haven't been to church for a while, if, if you're just here and you want God to speak, all I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. But here's the thing. I can't be the only one filled with God and listening to God. So everybody just bow your head and let's pray and just ask God. It's very simply, Lord, speak to me. And watch him work. So, Father, we love you and we thank you. And we are so grateful. Lord, show us what this love is. Help us perfect that love. Help us communicate your love so that we can know you, we can understand you. Lord, transform our hearts. Take down the walls that are blocking us from your love. And I ask in a powerful way, Lord, that your Holy Spirit speaks boldly to us as a church, to those that are online and those that are outside. We ask, Lord, in a powerful way that you will communicate through a guy like me your glory and your love. Help us, Lord. Really help us love. Because we know greater who is greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. We claim you above all things, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.
So this, the beginning, and listen, I'm not a Greek expert at all by any means, but I love the Greek and I understand the Greek. This beginning sentence, and some of your translations, it says beloved, and, 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 and that's kind of what the Greek kind of translates. It's a very powerful Greek sentence, which is agapetos, I'm sorry, agapetos or agapetoi, agapomen. And that's, that's just what the Greek was. For someone that's new and doesn't really care, that doesn't really mean anything. But the idea here is the love is from the agape heart of God. It's this different type of love versus what the world has to offer. And here's what the Greek is saying. And, and, and you really got to sit on this. It says, those who are loved by God also should love others. Those that are loved, let us love. That's the real concept here. This is a powerful statement. If you are loved, then let us love others. That's what John is trying to communicate here. He's not trying to bring a new command or do something different to change from what was done in the Gospels. He's trying to bring us to a place of if you feel loved and you are loved, then let us love. We are not commanded to love one another so that we can earn or become worthy of God's love. My heart is not to show you how great I, I love God so that I, I get more riches in heaven. My heart is just to love God because I'm loved by him. We're not commanded to love like it's going to get me uh, uh, more in the kingdom. He loves us all the same and it's constant and it's always present. It's one-sided. You can be the biggest idiot in the world and he still loves you. That's me. And he's put me up here to share that. I don't know why, but that's who it is. And that's who I am. When we love one another, we, we love because we are loved by God, because we have the heart of God, because we've received love. Too often, we don't love people correctly. And that's why we're doing the vow. We go into this marriage relationship. And how am I going to love my beautiful wife correctly if I'm not in love with God? I just can't do it the way that she needs it because I'm full of self and my self-will wants me to love myself and wants her to love me the same way I'm supposed to love myself, right? It's not possible. So I have to receive this love from God and I have to experience it. And when I receive it, then I live in this light and then I have this opportunity to really experience God in a really powerful way. Now listen, I am here right now living and alive, thank God, serving Jesus to the best of my ability because many years ago, people that I didn't know loved me and prayed for me. I mean, that's why I'm here. Long before I came to become a Christian, other people were loving me and praying for me in a way that I didn't really understand. Let me explain this. God sent my mom to church about five years before I went into this chaotic struggle and down spiral in my life. My mom went to church. My dad wasn't happy about it. Actually, he was grouchy about it. And if you know my dad, you know what his grouchiness looks like. So... But God sent my mom to this church. She met a couple of people. Jim and Sue Wolfrey uh, were there. And she started to have this relationship with the church. And when my life hit rock bottom, she had everybody in the church praying for me. Right? And, and so now people that I don't know, people I've never really met, are praying for some idiot strung out on meth in San Jose. Why? because they've received the love of God and now they're loving someone even when they can't love themselves. And what they were praying is, God, grab a hold of this young man and at just the right time, let him receive the message of God to change his heart and to change his mind so that God in his glory can transform a selfish heart into a selfless heart. 
So, I mean, I've had some pretty crazy stories, and I share a lot of my stories about being locked up. And a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a friend about my story about uh, some personal stuff about, you know, not being able to see my daughter because I couldn't pull it together. But some of the most amazing things happened when I got out of church. I walked onto church with my mom and my dad several years ago, and I walked onto this church just like someone did today, and I had literally 100 people saying, oh, it's good to meet you. I've been praying for you. And every time somebody said that, my heart started to melt. Like, why? Why? Why would you pray for me? You don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the heinous things that I've done. Why would you pray? And it's because they received love. And they now know that love needs to be given out. You can't hold it. You're not supposed to keep it. You're supposed to release it and give it away. And so if you know someone that needs Jesus, if you know someone that's struggling, if you know someone that's locked up or lost or struggling with anxiety or depression, put them on the prayer request. Before COVID all started, we had five or six pages of prayers. And since COVID, we get about three prayers every week. So those people are getting a lot of prayer. But I know you guys have people that you need to pray for. And maybe you're here today and you need prayer. Put it on there. Go to the QR code. Log on. We'd love to pray for you because God is doing wonderful things. So in this small little book, 1 John, John has talked about loving one another twice. Chapter 2, chapter 3. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. And now he's telling us why. Why should I love one another? And you know what he says? Because God is love. We have let the world tell us what love is, but truthfully, I promise you this, I know what the world's love is. And when, when, when the world was done with me, it spit me out and threw me up and put me into a dark hole. And that's not love. The love was that a, a God came and picked me out of the darkness and loved me back to life so that I could actually be okay with who I am and more than that, grateful for what he's done. So John is emphasizing us that God is love. 1 John 4, 8, have it highlighted in circle. Those who know God are loved by God because God is love. Those that don't know God aren't loved because God is not part of your life or he's not really powerful in your life. And the question is, my buddy John always, every, every like three weeks he sends me a text, do you know him? Do you know this God? Do you know every week? And we chuckle and laugh and I put a little praise break guy dancing on the little little gift because we always joke around. Do you really know this loving God? Do you guys like that? I got moves. I'm just telling you. So John is always challenging me. Do you know him? And I'm challenging you. Do you know this God? And if you don't know the God or you believe you know a God, there's a real powerful God that can pull you out of anything. And all you have to do is just accept his love. That's the beautiful thing. The, the, the word here is gnosko, a really cool word. And it, all it means is knowledge by experiencing God. And we're not talking about this Holy Spirit experience by coming to church. I'm talking about your everyday walk where you get up and you go, man, I've got so much crap in my mind or so many aches and pains or so much struggle that you just go, Lord, be with me. Come into my heart and soul. Not my will, Lord, your will. And every day you do that, you start to experience him. And some days you feel him even more. And John is saying, when you really experience God, 
You start praying for other people and you start loving other people and you start changing other people's lives. Like some people prayed for me and changed me. Here's what it says in verse nine. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life with him. God sent his one and only son into this world. Now, the love that we receive from God is a perfect love. And our job in this perfect love is, is to try and live a perfect love life with Christ. But that's not going to be possible on this side of heaven or on this side of eternity. But that doesn't mean that we're not to do the work. All we need to do is at one point in your life, draw a line in the sand and just say, Lord, I'm going to finally give myself to you and make that claim and make that statement. And when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and him as the son of God, you will accept and receive more than you ever could imagine. And then our job is to live in this in this concept of perfect love, even though we can't attain perfection, God wants to continue to grow in our lives so that we can have the best perfected love that we can this side of heaven. Now, you can't really truly grow in your experience with God without loving other people. One of the reasons why we do church is not to, you know, get tithing money and to make sure that we're, you know, coming together and big crowds and stuff. It's to love other people. We invite people to church so that we can love them. When we are loving other people and bringing them in and, 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 and loving them no matter who they are and what they are, God loves, loves us and gives us what we need because he's like, finally, my child's actually living for the glory of God. John chapter one, verse four, nine says, he does not love those who, God does not love, uh, what does it say? He who does not love does not know God. We can't. Listen. When I'm not in a loving relationship with God, I can't love my wife or my kids. I can't love you because I have nothing to offer. Because the world's already sucking us dry from everything, uh, social media and streaming and the news and all of these things. It's just, it's, it's just depleting you. We're like all dehydrated from the world's thing. And only thing that nourishes us is God's love. And I not only experienced God powerfully when I was locked up, but I really experienced it even more powerful when people that I didn't know were saying, I've been praying for you. And I ran into a couple that go to another church and they just gave me a big hug. And it's like, it's so amazing to see what God's done in your life. And then, of course, I can't talk for 10 minutes and I just walk away filled with, a, with, with so much gratefulness for those that, that continue to pray for you. Verse 10 says, this is real love. This is real love. What we think is love is like, well, you know, I'm going to put a few bucks to the homeless guy or I'm going to really give my kid a big Christmas present because he doesn't need it. But I'm going to show him by giving. But this is real love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Uh, who's been a Christian for more than 20 years? Raise your hand. Oh, that's a lot. When you hear a verse like this, you're numb to it now because it's, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, Jeff, I've heard it. You know, you don't need to tell me that God sent his son. I've heard it. I know John 3.16. I could actually quote it if you want. Do you want the King James or the NLT? But what happens is we become numb to the concept of sacrifice and what this actually really 
means. Let me, let me give you an example so that you really hear what I'm saying. Think about someone that you love the most. Whoever it is, maybe it's a relationship, uh, maybe it's your parent or your child. Uh, if you're a spouse and you love your child more than you love your husband, you need to come to the vow. Seriously. Because that's not how it's supposed to work. And I know that hurts people's feelings. But think of someone that you love and then think about what God did. Think of that person that you love, the, the one that you love the most that you would do anything for. I mean, like, get up at 11 o'clock at night and go to Rite Aid. If you'll do that, you really love that person. And if you go past midnight, man, you're way overhead for that person. That's the person I'm talking about. And then think about sending them to another place, another country, another world to help them. To help them. And as you're helping them, think about what God did. He did the same thing. He sent the thing that he loved the most, which was his son, into this world. And he said, I'm going to help them I'm going to save them. And he's not going to save the world by just kind of globally putting his hand out and going, you're all saved. He's trying to save you from yourself, one person at a time, to change the kingdom of God. And then he says, I'm going to send him into the world. And you know what the world did? The world hated him. The world rejected him. The world mocked him, despised him, and ultimately killed him. Think about if that was you and you sent the most precious thing to help them and they killed you. Jim, uh, James Boyce says this, if God had merely sent Jesus to teach us about himself, that would have been wonderful enough. It would have been far more than what we deserve, Jesus teaching us. If God had sent Jesus simply to be our example, that would have been good too, and it would have, been, uh, we, it would have had some value. But the wonderful thing is that God did not stop with these two, but rather he sent his son not merely to teach and to be our example, but to die a death of a felon that he might save us from sin. God is trying to save the world and change the world one sinner at a time. And he's trying to do it by love. And he's trying to do it by example. He's putting people around you as examples to say, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to receive his love. Isn't that what sacrifice is? Isn't that what sacrifice is? Some people of you sacrificed their time to get here. And that's a good start. Sacrifice is giving everything, expecting nothing. When, my, when, when I see my wife and she needs something, and I, I want to give everything. I don't, I, I don't always do this. That's why we're going to the vow tonight. Uh, but I want to sacrifice for her because I love her. And, and, and I got a, a daughter and... She never cleans her room, and uh, but I still love. I don't know if I said that out loud. Should I say that out loud? Let's pray, Lord. Please, please, Jesus. <laughs> That's going to go over well at lunch today, by the way, guys. <laughs> but sacrifice is loving them no matter what they do, right? That's what we do with kids. That we do. What we do with spouses, or what we're supposed to do. And God set a love offering. And here's the thing, and this is the last thing I'm going to say and we're going to move on. Here's the thing. God sent a love offering and many of us don't take it that seriously. And I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about non-believers. I'm talking about the church. Many of us 
mock it, reject it. Many of us don't want to, well, yeah, I love God, but I don't really want him to control my life. Well, he already is. You just got to accept it. That's the whole idea. But we don't. We reject it, and we, 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 we despise his control, and because of that, we limit God. And I'm tired, and I'm saying this because I'm tired of you guys, and it's not like I'm angry. I'm tired of you guys not giving me the full power of God because we don't accept him for who he is. Many of us think God is aloof. Anybody know anybody aloof? There's a couple in this section over here. I'm just kidding. Aloof means this, that God is distant, that he's kind of got his nose kind of up. And, you know, if you've ever been to like a country club or a billionaire place or something, they, they kind of look at you and you're like, why are you waving to me? I'm worth $9 billion. Don't, don't talk to me. That's not who God is. God showed us by the example of sending his son, the most precious thing on this earth, and to die for you and me because he cares for you. Verse 11 says this, dear friends, dear church, dear those that are children of God, God loved you that much. Sure, it, Since God loved you that much, surely we ought to love one another. This word love is agape, real love. It's not defined by our love by God or for God. It's not defined by how much I love God. It's defined by how much he loves us. That's agape love. It's, it's one-sided it's unconditional. He's got this powerful, passionate love that he's pouring out on all of us, those that are online and outside. He's just pouring out this passionate love. And all you've got to do is just go, man, Lord, if you love me that much, let me experience that love. His love for us then initiates something inside of us, this relationship of love with him. When we experience his love, it initiates and says, oh yeah, I forgot I'm a child of God and let me love, let me love other people because his love is, is, is for me and I respond to that love. We can't really love God and let, we can't love others unless we really love God. Until we really live for God and receive him, then how can I truly love other people? And then it says, then surely shouldn't we ought to love other people? He loved us. Shouldn't we surely ought, ought to love other people? Why? Well, he loved us when we we're unlovable. A bunch of people were praying for me when I was strung out. He loved us when we were still sinners, the Bible says. He loved us when we are complainers and controllers and trying to manipulate the world for my betterment. He loved us. He loved us when we take for granted that Christ died upon the sin. He loved us when we take this Bible and we use it as a doorstop or a coffee rester. You know, he doesn't demand you to read the Bible. He challenges you and wants you to read the Bible, but he loves you even when you don't read his Bible. He loves you when you have your own agendas and when you're seeking other things apart from him, even though you want it to be about him. He loves you. Why? Because you're worth it. And then shouldn't we love other people? If you're worth it, then the person next to you is worth it. And if they're worth it, then the people outside of the church are worth it. Verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought into full expression in us. Love perfected. Do you want to be perfectly loved? I know I do. My love language is quality love. I want quality. I mean, I, I like to hug, so I hug a lot of people, but I want quality love. I mean, I just want. And so at my house, 
I, I, my wife comes home and she, my, you guys know my wife. My wife works really hard. She does 10 hours a day, uh, literally in, in a very crazy environment. And so from 8.36 to about 9.12, that's my quality time. I got to catch her before she falls asleep. Now, if you're doing the math, that's not a lot of time, but it's enough for me because that's what I get. And you have to learn to accept that, right? And that's how we grow and that's how we communicate. And that's how we are working on our relationship because later in the week, she gives me a lot more time when she has time for herself, right? That's what we're talking about here. The nature of our love relationship with God is to see God through the evidence of his great love for us. The, the idea here is if you want a relationship, a real relationship with God, a vertical relationship, then you've got to be, experience how much he loves you throughout the week. God loves us all individually different. You know, God loves me enough to let me play golf a couple times a week. He does. He doesn't even really care about golf. He doesn't. Just like he doesn't care about baseball or massages or pedicures. But if he loves you and he knows that's what you love, he wants to also bless you with that. And you'll see that when you're in that mature relationship, you see the evidence of that love. And that's what a real faith and real relationship looks like. When you're mining, anybody um, a Bitcoin miner? Anybody gotten Facebook requests? I'm a Bitcoin miner. All that means is, they're trying to get you to buy into a Bitcoin, and it's great. I'm not against Bitcoin. I actually want to get involved in it. But, but here's the thing. The idea here is that you've got to mine for God's love in your life constantly. You've got to look for it. If you quit looking for it, you're going to find that the world hates you, and you don't feel loved. But if you look for it, you're going to see all kinds of love offering everywhere. You know, in our high school group, we have a high school group, meets on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. It's called Fireside. And almost every week we say this same thing. We don't do it every week, but we always ask the students, it's really cool, where have you seen God or where do you need to see God? We ask them every week. And what happens is a kid will go up and go, um, I think I saw God. And they'll give us an explanation of where they saw God. And then someone was like, well, I need to see God, my parents or this kid at school or my homework or a test. And they really try and see who God is. And we're training these kids to not see this visible burning bush God. We're training them to mine in their life the actual love of God so that he can experience, that they can experience God and see God and then raise their hand and go, man, I am experiencing God more than I've ever had. We are training the teens, and I guess we should train you as well, to see God through the evidence of his love throughout your week. They're ahead of the game. So where is he loving you? And where do you need to see his love? In John, in 1 John, there's this theme. And it, and it talks about abide in me and I will abide in you. And it's constantly. And all it means is if you remain in a relationship close to me, I will remain in a relationship close to you. Very similar to my marriage. If I'm distant and I don't uh, allow my wife to get close to me, how can she become close to me? Because I'm pushing her away. But if I remain and I accept my 36 minutes a night, then I've got an opportunity to build that relationship so that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we have this very robust, beautiful relationship because that's who God is. If we love one another and we start to love, if we start loving other people, we then become mature and complete in this love. We, we become uh, working on our perfected love and the key word is working. You got to put in the work. 
You don't have to put in the work to be saved, but if you want to love and love others, you got to put in some time. Put in some time in his word. Put in some time in church, small groups, and love. Verse 13, it says, And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Now, this is connected to 13, 14, and 15, but I need to stop here because here's what, you, here's what he's saying. Do you need proof that God loves you? Once again, about eight weeks ago, we were talking to the kids in high school in Fireside, and we said, do you want to hear the voice of God? And everybody's like, yeah. And I said this, then ask God how much he loves you. If you haven't heard the voice of God in a long time, or you don't hear the voice of God, just ask him how much he loves you. And if you're really connected with him, you're going to start to weep. And, 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 and if you give me a five, seven more minutes or 10 minutes, we'll end and then you can ask God. But if, all, if, if you're just broken, just start asking him right now. How much do you love me, God? And he's going to start telling you how special and how wonderfully made you are and how I loved you from the womb and how I put you in this place and I have you where you're at right now for a reason. And all you have to do is sit in that and let him wash you in his blood and in his grace and mercy and you will experience that now if you're hearing negative things you're putting too much evil in your life on the week to week basis if you're hearing harm yourself harm others hate yourself that's not God and you've got to look at what you're putting in your life because what you're putting in is rotten fuel and it's going to destroy you and ultimately it's going to separate you from the love of God and if you need help, at the end, we have a bunch of prayer people. They will help you get right and clean with God so that you can experience God. Do you need proof? Ask him how much he loves you, and I promise you, you will experience more love than you ever imagined. Verse 14. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And all who declare Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. Such a powerful place to be. Here we see John responding to the liars. We call that in the ancient, ancient days when Jesus lived or thereafter, we call them the Gnostics. The Gnostics were a bunch of liars. The Jesus had died and it was like 30 years past and these Gnostics were saying, well, listen, I know more about God than, than John or Paul or anybody else who was still alive. And let me show you, I've got this spiritual stuff or I've got this crystal or I've got this that we hear today that's gonna make things work. And it and, and doesn't mean it's bad, it's just not true. It's just not God. And so John is responding to those and he's like saying, listen, I am filled with this Holy Spirit He's talking about, I, I've received this Holy Spirit and I'm to declare the truth of who Jesus is. He goes, I was there. I saw all of this. So I want you to know, and he decided not just to say it from the pulpit, he wrote a letter for all the churches to read. This is called a general letter. It's called a general epistle. It was to be read in all the churches that believed in Jesus Christ. And he's like, I was there. And I got living proof. The Spirit of God is speaking me and telling you that I was there declaring who Jesus is. And John tells us some essential truths about Jesus. Remember last week, if you were here, I gave you a list of essential things. And here's what he says. And he's referring back to the gospel that he wrote, the gospel uh, 
3.16, John 3.16 and 3.17. And here he's just glaring. Anybody know John 3.16? God so loved the world. That's, that's the one. He's referring back to it. And here's what he says. That the Father has sent his Son. In verse 14 it says, That the Father has sent in, the, his Son into this world. And then he says, He sent Jesus to save the world, not condemn the world. That's the second part. Jesus didn't come to judge everybody. We like to judge. I'm judging all of you. You should see my view up here. It's beautiful. But Jesus didn't come to judge. He actually says in verse 17, I came to save the world. Now, how does he save the world? Once again, he just doesn't magically wave his hand and go, poof, you're all saved. He challenges that person to have the Holy Spirit experience to change that person and save them from who? Themselves and my sin nature. I need to be saved from myself. Because my head and my self-will gets in my head and all of a sudden I'm off on this distant crazy thing. And when I'm away from God, I end up in handcuffs and doing jail time. And when I'm with God, my wife lets me into the home. The dogs love me. The dogs love me either way. It doesn't matter what I do. It's such a gift. Here's the last thing that he says. Knowing and understanding Jesus is the foundation of remaining close to, to God. That's really critical. Knowing and remaining into Jesus Christ, meaning the New Testament and being a follower of Jesus, that's how we stay connected and close to God. Very important. Let's move on. Verse 15, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. All who declare, you've got to make a de declaration statement. You can't just sit around and go, oh, I believe in a God, I believe in a higher power, I believe in this and I believe in that. You actually have to declare some things. And when you start to declare and you start to step out in faith, we start, you know, I was going to say we walk on water. I'm not going to do that because we're not to test God, but we start to live in a different way. And you, it starts with a declaration. We must constantly declare that God, is, God sent his son and Jesus is that one. It's not enough to know the facts about Jesus. We need to confess who he is. And the, and the Greek word confess, all confessing means is I'm in agreement. That's all it means. When, when I'm confessing, I'm agreeing, saying, Lord, I need a savior. I'm confessing that I'm broken and that I'm lost and that my mind has wandered and I'm into this distant thing. But when I confess Jesus is Lord and savior, then I'm in agreement and I'm agreeing with that God sent his son and that Jesus Christ has all power and authority over my life. Jesus is a love offering from God to grow us in our relationship to God. That's all he is, but that's who he is. That's who he is. If you don't know God, if you're not connected to God, you don't have any relationship, you're not hearing any voices besides the crazy one in your head, all you need to do is put Jesus in, in your life and you will start to experience God for maybe the first time. Verse 16 says, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. For God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in him. At the very end, he comes back to God is love. And if you're here today and you feel unloved and you feel lonely and you feel dejected and you feel like the world's not listening or God's not changing or your political party's not winning or, you know, whatever else you're struggling with, you just need to know that God is love. And, and at some point, he wants to fulfill the things that you, you, you need in your life. You need, not what you want. You just got to experience his love and, and love his love. 
Now, how do we respond to God's love? It's, it's really different. You would think that everybody responds to God's love like the same way. Oh, man, thanks, God. But there, I put a couple of ways that God responds, and they're very weird. Number one, some people respond with a, a sense of self-superiority. It's like, well, yeah, God loves me. I mean, look at what I'm doing. I'm up here preaching. I'm confessing. I'm talking. Obviously, loves me because I'm so great. That's not how we respond to God's love. Some of us respond, and this is how I did. Can God really love someone like me? Does he love someone who's, you know, walked away from his family and chose drugs and alcohol? Does he love someone who, 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 who has done such despicable things in his life? We doubt. Can even God love me? Some of us respond with wickedness. It's like, well, God loves me. And I, I was at a sermon a couple of years ago, and it says his grace and his mercy is so strong and so powerful and sufficient that I can do whatever I want. That's not true, but that's what people hear. They go, wow, that was really cool. I can do whatever I want. I can party all night, cheat on my wife, come home, do the message, and then go back out and feel like that's oh, all good. That's not what he wants. God wants us to respond by knowing and experiencing his love and believing that God's love never fails. And I want to challenge you today with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. It says, nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing you did, nothing you do, nothing you've done can separate you. No angels, nor demons, nothing from heaven and nothing from earth. Nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing that you've done, nothing can separate. Everybody say nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. All you got to do is experience God and love him back and you will experience more love than you ever imagined. And all that is, is making a declaration that God is love. Listen to what Spurgeon, there's a guy named Charles Spurgeon. He's the preacher of preachers. He was, uh, you know, a couple hundred years ago preaching powerful messages. And we're still reading them today. And here's what it says. And, and this might be the most important thing I say today. To feel God's love is very precious. Hopefully you're feeling that right now. But to believe in it when you don't feel it is the noblest. I don't know if you know, but sometimes I don't feel God's love. But I know he loves me. And all I got to do is slow my mind down, slow my life down, slow my walk down, and experience God's love. And I'm like, oh yeah, there it is. I got into myself. Let me get out of self. And let me get into God. And I want to close with this. What's one of the things that you can do, church? What's one of the things that you can do that might be the most loving thing? Let me tell you what it is is sharing your faith. There was an article, I, I, about six years ago, I read this article and about four times this person that wrote this article said, I'm not a Christian, I didn't receive Christ. I'm not a Christian, I didn't receive Christ. But he wrote this article, it's on a big news uh, place. And he said, this person came to me one day and shared their faith with me. They had a testimony about what God had done in their life and they started to weep a little bit and cry. And this person's writing this article for a big news outlet. And he says, it was the most beautiful, kindest thing someone's ever did to me in my life. And he goes, I'm not a Christian, but what they offered me was the same thing that they wanted for me was the most beautiful thing. And I hope that guy today is believing in Jesus. But all we can do is share, share the faith. If you really love God, you've got to share your faith. 
Share your faith, and I promise you, you will hear the voice of God. Let me give you a couple ways to share your faith. Number one, know your mission field. You are, you are planted in a place wherever you live or wherever you go to school or wherever you work. You're planted there for a reason. That's your mission field. Know your mission field. Number two, focus on the gospel. Focus on what Jesus did. Don't focus on Leviticus. That's never going to get you there. Number two, focus on the gospel. Number three, share true power stories of God. God's done powerful things in people around you. If it's done in your life, share your testimony. And finally, invite them to a church. If you're not good, just go, hey, just come to church. And a church doesn't have to be this church. We're not trying to grow our church. But go to a church that reads from the Bible. And at the very end, just like we're going to do in two minutes, that invites people into faith. And go with them. It doesn't have to be this church. But if you share, you're communicating God's love and you will be known by your love. And this becomes a blessing to the world. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we love you. Help us love you, Lord. We love you and we want to feel your love and we want to feel right again with you, Father. And so, Lord, bless us today with your spirit so that we can experience you and feel you. If there's someone here today, Lord, that doesn't know Jesus, but feels like their life needs to be changed and, 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 and radically put in a different direction. All you have to do, if you're online or if you're in the room or you're outside, all you have to do is, it says in the Bible, confess with your mouth and believe from your heart that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. Make a declaration. If that's you, say a simple prayer with me. And it goes like this. Father, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin and being in selfish nature. You died upon the cross for me. You rose from the grave so that I can live with you in eternity. Love me, Lord. Holy Spirit, take over my life and teach me how to walk with you for the rest of my days on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.